Well, I want to ask you, how do you want to be remembered? In years to come, how do you want to be remembered? Now, I need to tell the story that goes with this picture. It's from Polly Yu here in Hong Kong. Anybody been there, seen the building? Okay, and I don't usually use names, but I do need to use the name of the, the person I was with. When I was really new to Hong Kong, just here for a few months, I was with Bart Ho, who happens to work at PolyU, and uh, we were walking through the campus. And I looked up at the building, and you know that my name is Pastor Stan. The full name is Stanley. So I'm walking through the PolyU campus as a new person here to Hong Kong, and I said, Bart, they've named the building for us. His last name is Ho. <laughs> and he had to explain to me that this is somebody famous in Hong Kong. I don't know who he is, uh, but apparently he's given lots of money and has his name on buildings all over the place. How do you want to be remembered? Do you want to be remembered because your name's on a building? It's not a bad thing. A lot of, lot of good work's gone on that way. Do you want to be remembered because of something you've said, something you've done? Whatever. How do you want to be remembered? Did you catch how John the Baptist was remembered? John the Baptist was dead at this point. He was put to death in a very cruel way. John the Baptist, in this passage, is known because he taught his disciples to pray. And some of those disciples became Jesus' disciples, and they come to Jesus and say, teach us to pray just like John the Baptist. That's a great way to be remembered. And so in this passage we're gonna, that we're going to look at today, it's from Luke chapter 11, and this is towards the end of Jesus' ministry here on earth. In just a, a, a very short period of time, a matter of weeks, he is going to be going through that final week, that Passion Week, where he ends up in trial, um, ends up being crucified, and then he rises from the dead. And it's interesting that we find Jesus' disciples coming to him, asking, teach us to pray. Do you realize the significance of this? We can look back on it because we're at this point in history. But we can see the importance and the, the, the reality that prayer had to be for these disciples because Jesus knew that in just a short period of time, they are going to be leading the church forward. They are going to be taking the gospel around the world until it gets to Hong Kong and other places. Matter of fact, it got to Hong Kong, it got to China centuries before it ever got to America. So the gospel goes around the world because of the work of these disciples. And so we have the words of the Lord's Prayer, and perhaps it sounded just a little bit different to you than maybe the way you've heard it before, because these words, in almost the same form, are found also in Matthew chapter 6, which caused a little bit of a dilemma for me, because we've been studying this Gospels chronologically, and I'm wondering, why is it that we have Matthew chapter 6, which happens a year or more before Luke chapter 11, why do we have almost the identical teaching in two places a year apart? And there's not a lot said on it, but what I can find from the study is that it was very common for teachers 
to have important things that they taught in more than one place. Which would make a lot of sense here because we have it taught in two places and there were probably a whole lot of other times that aren't even recorded where Jesus taught on prayer. And I started thinking about the significance of that because one of these times, Matthew chapter 6, is towards, it's, it's a year before the disciples had been with Jesus for a short period of time, but they're really just getting started in their ministry training. And what does Jesus teach them? He teaches them to pray. Something that we need to know very early on in our walk with Jesus, we need to learn to pray. And here we are now in, in Luke chapter 11, and we're almost towards the end of the training that Jesus is going to give to His disciples. And what does He do? He teaches them to pray. Do you see that significance? There's no point in our walk with Christ that we don't pray. We don't, we're not too young in the faith that we can't come to God. No, He wants us to come. Or we're not too mature, and we're, we, we no longer need to have prayer. Prayer is a vital part that we need at all times. And so I saw that as we looked at this, as I looked at this passage and saw that it's found here a couple times. So I'd encourage you at some time, uh, we're not really going to go to it today, but I'd encourage you to look in Matthew chapter 6 and look what Jesus says about the Lord's Prayer in that passage. So let's look at, uh, at this part and see what Jesus has to say. The passage starts out, one day Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples to pray. And here we're only one verse in, and I can share with you that an important part of prayer is that it needs to be a priority. Do you see the priority that it was in the people's lives that are mentioned here in just one verse? We have John the Baptist. He was a miracle baby. A baby born to an older couple. He was filled with the Holy Spirit at birth. He is the one who got to introduce the Messiah. Hello everyone, I want you to meet Jesus. What a privilege. Jesus says uh, that there's no prophet greater than John. And with all these things going on, all these special things that John has, he knows that he still needs to pray. And prayer is an important priority for John. Important enough that he taught it to his disciples. And next we have Jesus' disciples. We have Jesus' disciples. They've obviously heard Jesus pray a number of times. And they recognize the need for prayer. And they come and they say, teach me to pray. Of all the requests that they could have given to Jesus, they focus on prayer. They would be needing to preach and teach in years to come. They would need to be directing the church. There's all kinds of things that they could have asked Jesus, and they asked him for prayer. And then we see Jesus himself and the priority that he has for prayer. 
Jesus is known as praying, and if you just trace through the Gospel of Luke, you can go through all the Gospels if you, if you want, but if you just trace through the Gospel of Luke and see the number of times that Jesus prayed, you can see that prayer was a priority. In chapter 3, we have Jesus at his baptism, and he prays. He prayed often in lonely places. He prayed before he had the important task of choosing his disciples. He prayed before he gave the, the, uh, the question to his disciples, Who am I? He prayed before the transfiguration. We're going to find Jesus in prayer again before the crucifixion. Jesus is known to be in prayer. Matter of fact, I think his disciples knew where he was. Oh, he's off someplace again praying. You see, Jesus as the second person of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and He needs to pray. There's a message here for us. The message, I think, is clear. Each one of us need to pray. Prayer needs to be a regular and frequent part of our lives and our walk with God. The next part that I want to look at is the pattern of prayer. What is the pattern for prayer? We get into the Lord's Prayer here. He said to them, Jesus said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. One of the things that I want to, to say here is that Jesus gives us this model of prayer, but it's not a mandate that you need to say it exactly this way. In fact, when it's recorded in the, in the Bible twice, it's recorded slightly different. It's a model for us that we can learn from and that we can personalize. Because simply saying the words does nothing if it doesn't reflect what's in our heart. It's a model for us. It's something that we can learn from. It's not a mandate to say it exactly this way. But there's much that we can learn from this model. There's much that we can internalize and have as a part of our lives so that when we pray, we reflect the same values, the same truths, the same pattern that's going on here in prayer. Um, that Jesus gives to his disciples. Something that I see in here is that prayer depends on a relationship. Who does Jesus pray to? He prays to the Father. Immediately when you talk about Father, Son, Father, Child, you have relationship going on in there. It takes more than one person. It takes two people. It takes a family. There's a relationship going on. Jesus tells us to address God as Father. Someone that we can know. Someone who we can relate to. Someone that has that relationship. Prayer is not just this cold, random chanting of certain words or giving a certain request because we have some kind of need. There's the assumption that there's a relationship going on here when we pray. 
And it's interesting just to say a little bit about this father aspect. Because what God does for us is he gives us a model or a pattern for how we address God, how we know God, through the relationships that we have here on earth. We have a father. We have someone who is set to be that model of the relationship between us and God. And I'll never forget, it was years ago when I was, when I was just starting in youth ministry, I got to go to a conference led by a man named Jay Kessler. Jay Kessler was uh, uh, the president of the ministry called Youth for Christ at the time. If any of you have heard of that. One of the things that Youth for Christ did is they had campus clubs in high schools all around America. And during the summer, they would take kids from these clubs and they would go to a camp. Oftentimes, these clubs were in inner city settings where kids came from homes that were broken. The father either wasn't present, he had had the children and left, or it was not a good situation at all. And Jay Kessler, as he related to us as young youth pastors, he said, do you see what's going on? God models the relationship of God the Father, His Son, and His relationship with us by modeling the family. And as they talked about that, and as they told the, the, uh, the teenagers at camp one summer, they said, God wants to be your father. And the kids weren't too excited. They said, you mean God wants to be like my father? I don't want to have anything to do with that. It was not an attractive invitation. But Jay Kessler, as he, uh, he'd, he'd been years in, years in ministry doing this, he started to see the importance that we have of having a father who loves the Lord and can be a model for him. And so this isn't a Father's Day message, though it could be. But I want to share with you, fathers, the importance that you have because you become the model of God for your children. Now, there's a whole lot of homes, there's a whole lot of situations where that's not a good model. Like the, children, like the, the, the teenagers at camp found out, they were hoping that God was not like their father. And so I want to give a message of hope. I did want to say this because the relationship that we have with God the Father is sometimes colored by the relationship that we had with our Father. And maybe we need to get to know the God of the Bible because we've had a bad relationship with our Father. And so God wants us to get to know Him through His Word, and find out what kind of father he is. And as we go on in this passage uh, that we're looking at this morning, we're going to see that there was a misunderstanding in the type of father that this God is. But So I don't leave you in despair if you're saying, I've made mistakes as a father. By the way, I have two children, and if I asked you to raise your hand if you're a father and you made a mistake with them, mine would be up first. Okay, I've made mistakes with my children. If you've had a bad situation, I encourage you to write down Psalm 68. Go read it sometime. Because part of what's in there is it said, God wants to be the father to the fatherless. 
And so if there's been a bad situation or you have a bad understanding of Father, realize that God wants to be your Father as a good, good Father. The, good, the Father that we're going to find out that's talked about here in the Lord's Prayer and the parable afterwards. And so I just say that because Father is so important and it is the relationship that bases our opportunities to have prayer and a good time with our Father. The next thing that I want to talk about is that prayer involves responsibilities. Do you see what's going on in the Lord's Prayer? If you look down at, at the, the first part of the prayer after the Father, we are honoring God. We're using the word hallowed. How many of you used the word hallowed this last week? I, I don't think I've used it other than, than reading it here in Scripture. What does hallowed mean? Hallowed means probably the, the closest we could have, we could insert the word holy in there. God, you are holy. You are set apart. You are special. You are pure. The res one of the responsibilities that we have in prayer is to understand the position and the place of God the Father and who He is and that He is in charge and I am not. His kingdom come, not my kingdom be fulfilled. Prayer as we go to God has this responsibility to realize that He is in charge. He is the one that we follow. And part of that is we need to understand who God is. And when we pray, we want to pray in the will of God. When we're praying and asking for God's will to be done, that's something that He wants to do. How do we know the will of God? We read the Word of God. By knowing the Word of God, it enables us to pray the will of God. We need to know God. We need to know God from the Bible not some misconceptions that we have, not some, some uh, incomplete understanding of who He is. And so let me just pause here for a moment and say, if you have, are not in the habit of reading God's Word, I want to encourage you to do that. And as you look at it here in the paper form, it's an awfully big book. Well, it doesn't look so big unless I let you know the pages are just this super thin paper. Okay, and it ends up being a few thousand pages. One time I figured out that if I read four pages a day, I could read the entire thing in a year. So that's a big book. And then you start finding out, well, there's 66 little books in here. It's not like other books. Uh, how, how do I start reading this? Where do I go? Well, I want to give you a suggestion because if you're not regularly reading God's Word, you should be, and I want to give you some help. First of all, I would encourage you to find the book of John. It's the fourth book in the New Testament. It's one of the four Gospels. What does the word Gospel mean? Good news. Good news, there are four books at the beginning of the New Testament that tell us the good news about Jesus. Four different men take the time to write what, God, uh, what God's Spirit tells them to write. And I would encourage you, if you're not in the habit of regularly reading God's Word, to start in the book of John and get started 
as soon as possible. You don't need to read an entire chapter. You can read a paragraph, read something, mark where you are, pick up the next time you have a chance um, to read again, and read through the book of John. Start asking yourselves the, yourself the questions of what's being said here, what's going on. When you finish the book of John, I'd encourage you to, to look at another one of the Gospels. There's four of them. Pick another one and read it. Just in case you're interested, Mark is the shortest. Some people might want to go to Mark next. So then you'll read through the life of Jesus twice. After you get done with that, go on to Acts, and then read through the rest of the New Testament um, as you have a chance to do that. Because there's no way that you can pray seeking God's will to be done if you're not in the Word. If we have difficulty in a prayer life, it's probably because we're not getting to know God in His Word. And so I just, I just wanted to pause and say that and say, please spend some time getting to know God and who He is. The next thing that I see here in, the, uh, in, this, in this prayer, in Luke chapter 11, is that really the petitions that are there is what we oftentimes think is the main part of prayer, and I challenge you that I don't think it is, the petitions, the requests, the list of things that we have that we'd like God to do for us, the petitions are really God's priorities already. The petitions are the requests, the list of things that, 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 we're, that we want to bring to God. They're really already God's priorities. Look at what the petitions are. In, they're, they're slightly different here than what they are in, in Matthew, but let's just, just look at them here. Um, um, give us our daily bread. We're asking the request that God give us what we need for the day. What do we need to, to get through that day? Uh, bread, food, whatever the list is. Is that something that God wants to do or doesn't want to do? Well, if you look in Philippians 4.19, Paul tells the Philippians, and my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of His glory in Christ Jesus. God wants to do this. The requests that we give, we find in God's Word are things that He wants to do. He wants to give to His children. The second petition that we find in, in, the, in the Lord's Prayer here talks about for, uh, forgiveness of sin. Forgive us our sin. Now there's a reciprocal part of that. Forgive as I forgive others. Uh-oh. I like holding grudges. I want to hold something against somebody. You know, I can hold power over them by not forgiving and be a little bit controlling here. What if God forgives me that way? So you see the, 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 the responsibility that there is in this. But the overall idea of forgiveness of sin, does God want to forgive us our sins? Well, let's look at a couple of scriptures on that. 2 Corinthians 5.21 God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. Who was that who had no sin? Jesus had no sin. 
God made Him to be sin for me, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. We'll have that purity, that righteousness of God. Or 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sin, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. This request that we're coming to God with is something He wants to give us. And then the final one has to do with leading us not into temptation or tempting us to sin. Does God tempt us to sin? James 1.13 tells us, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does He tempt anyone. So these requests, these petitions, these things that we come to God in prayer about are things that are within His will. How do we know His will? We're in the Word. When we know God's Word, we pray the petitions that honor Him, that make His kingdom come. His will be done. And it's just exciting to see how that works. When our relationship is in line with God's Word, our petitions really end up being God's priorities. And remember how Jesus prayed. It's okay to come to God with anything, anything in prayer. In just a few chapters, we'll see Jesus in prayer before the crucifixion, before the trial, before He's going to be put to death. And Jesus is praying in Luke chapter 22. And He says, Father, if You are willing, take this cup. What does He mean by this cup? He means the death and crucifixion that He's going to go through. He says, take this cup from Me. Father, if You are willing, take this cup from Me. He's praying out the very purpose of Him coming was to provide salvation for, for all of humanity. And Jesus is praying, if You are willing, take this cup from Me, but not My will, but Yours be done. And so we can come to God with anything. Please spend time in prayer. Pour your heart out to Him with anything. But realize that what we're ultimately asking for is God's will to be done in your life. And that comes out here in this kind of mysterious parable that Jesus gives after the Lord's Prayer. And to be honest with you, I had a lot of questions about this parable. And I'm thankful for the time to study it because I got to see it from a new perspective. So let's read through this just, a minute, just uh, uh, together and look at it again to refresh our minds. Remember, Jesus has just given them the Lord's Prayer, teaching them with a model for how to pray. And then Jesus said to them, Suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, Father, lend me, or a friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door is already locked. My children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, 
Yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For anyone who asks, receive. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Do you see the situation? You have some friends that are flying into Hong Kong. You've been waiting for them for a long time. They're supposed to get in at 9 or 10 o'clock at the airport. Their flight gets delayed for whatever reason. I don't know what the airlines do. (laughs) Usually the weather. It's not the airlines. They get in and it's now 3 a.m., You're taking them home, or they got a taxi. They're coming to your place. They haven't eaten anything. They're hungry. 7-Eleven's closed. Do they ever close? No, they're they're open all the time. This must not be Hong Kong. Okay. But there's no food. And so you go and you knock on your neighbor's door. I have guests that got into Hong Kong late. They need something to eat. Go back to bed. I'm already asleep. My kids are sleeping. Don't wake them up. You know what it's going to be like if my child wakes up? Why? You know, and all that kind of stuff. And finally, they wake up. Or they they, they get up and they give you something to give your friends that have come to visit you. And I used to think about this parable as, well, who am I? Am I the one waiting for the friend? Um, Am I the one that needs the bread? And, and usually in these parables, it's to teach me something. And so I must be one of these people and God must be the other. Well, God wouldn't be the one coming and knocking at the door because he can provide anything. So does that mean that God's the grumpy neighbor? Go away! <laughs> I'm sleeping! Does God ever sleep? No. No. Does God want to give us good things? Yes. So as I studied this, I realized God's neither of them. Jesus tells us in a little bit, now he does say that persistence is what pays off here. Persistence pays off. But he gives us the new picture of who God is when he gets to um, verse 9. And so I say to you, this is what God is like. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. This is who God the Father is. He is neither of the others. Jesus gives a negative parable. This is not like who God is. Because God wants to provide for us. So let's look at this just a little bit. Uh, Let me go back. We'll come back to that. God is not the one who sleeps. He does not become patient or or irritable. He is always generous. He delights in meeting the needs of his children. The lesson of this parable and this passage is that we need to know God the Father. We need to set apart his name, hallow it. We need to seek his kingdom and we need to realize that his provision of daily bread, forgiveness, and sin is something that He wants to give us. The perseverance that we need to have is that we lean hard into God. You know, we're just 
relying on Him. We're persistent in Him because we're holding on to Him. And then Warren Wearsby gives us this quote. He says, Persistence in prayer is not an attempt to change God's mind because we're praying, Thy will be done, but to get ourselves in the place where God can trust us with the answer. If God answered your prayer, would you be ready for it? We need to be persistent in prayer and let God change our heart. And so we see as Jesus gives this teaching, this parable at the end, it's the emphasis is on the continual asking. Maybe we could say it this way. Keep on asking. Keep on seeking. Keep on knocking. And how do we do that? I'd like to say, in other words, we could say it this way. Don't come to God only in the midnight emergencies, but keep in constant communion with the Father. I remember being a student in school. I don't know what, I, I don't think it's happened yet here in Hong Kong, but when, when I was uh, in uh, about grade 7 or grade 8, America thought they were going to do the grand thing of banning prayer from school. You can't ban prayer from school. As long as there's tests in school, there's going to be prayer. Okay? <laughs> Maybe they should just get rid of tests too. But prayer in school would happen a lot of times when the test would happen. When the emergency would happen, when the friend would come in the middle of the night, we'd have a need, we'd have some big, big, uh, big concern. The perseverance in prayer is that we're praying all the time. We're continuously giving our prayers to God. I was in one part of the world where one religion and very publicly reminded us to pray five times a day. I thought, wow, that's great. I'll remember to pray for my, my friends that, that go to that place and pray. They're reminding me five times a day. How many times should a Christian pray? Is it five, ten, twenty, thirty? One. Continuously. All day. We're to be praying all the time. Continuously. How does Jesus say this? In John chapter 15, Jesus uses the word abiding. Our prayer is to be such that we're abiding in God. And it's not just the midnight emergencies. It's not just the tests. It's prayer all the time. And just a natural part of our lives. Honoring God for who He is and bringing our petitions to Him. We see this again by Paul in 1 Thessalonians. He says, pray without ceasing. Pray continuously. And the last part that I want you to see here, I want to present God to you as the good Father. Because that's what Jesus does as he finishes up this teaching. He says, Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? 
Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Me, being evil and incomplete, give the best I can to my children. God, being perfect and holy and able to give anything, gives to us, His children, so much more. And what does He give? He gives us the Holy Spirit. He gives us the Holy Spirit. Each believer has God living within them to produce the fruit in our lives so that we live the way that God wants us to live. God gives us the Holy Spirit. What, does this, what are the gifts of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, long-suffering. You know the list? That's the gifts that God gives us. And so I just want to say, as we look at prayer, don't think of God as someone who we need to come to and just beg and plead and do things so that we can obligate Him to give us something that we want. But rather, look at God as that good Father who wants to take care of His children. When you see God that way, it's not the frightening man in the sky, but it's that God that I know, the one I can trust, the one I can come to, and abide in Him and pray continuously. I want to end with this quote from Oswald Chambers. Some of you might know him as the guy who wrote the book, My Utmost for His Highest. He says, To say that prayer changes things is not as close to the truth as saying, Prayer changes me, and then I change things. God has established things so that prayer, on the basis of redemption, changes the way a person looks at things. Prayer is not a matter of changing things externally, but one of the working miracles in a person's inner nature. Let's pray. Oh God, help us to know you as that Father who is good, who wants to care for us, who wants to give us what we need, who is ready to answer the petitions because you've shared in, our, in your word that this is what you want. May we continuously be in prayer. May prayer be something that's a daily part of our life. Something that if our children wonder where we are, they know, oh, he's off praying. Or she's off praying. I can give this prayer request to you because we know you. And so Father, may we be known as a people of prayer. May we be remembered as a people who come to you as the one who provides all for us. May we be dependent upon you for all. We thank you now in Jesus' name. Amen.